Hello and welcome to the weekend wrap for the week on Wednesday. My name is Ben Davis and I am your host on this Sunday the 9th of July in the year 2023. I hope wherever you are around Australia or indeed around the world, you're having a wonderful day, afternoon, evening or morning. Of course, people listen to our show while they walk their dog, cook dinner, drive to work. Wherever you listen to the week on Wednesday and the weekend wrap, I hope it's an enjoyable experience for you. Of course, just like every week, a lot has happened since Van and I joined you for Wednesday's edition of the week on Wednesday. And we are going to recap some of the key pieces of news that matter most to working people. Probably one of the biggest stories that has happened since Wednesday is the RoboDebt Royal Commission has handed in its final report. Scathing is probably the most generous way of describing the report. Absolutely scathing of the Morrison government. Here are some of the key things. Scott Morrison And this is a quote now from the report itself. He failed to meet his ministerial responsibility to ensure that it was lawful. Alan Tudge. Mr. Tudge, Mr. Tudge's use of information about Social Security recipients in the media represented an abuse of power. Stuart Robert, the now former member for Fadden, the report rejected Stuart Robert's claim that he acted to end the scheme. Catherine Campbell, who was the departmental secretary in charge, Ms. Campbell had been responsible for a department that had established, implemented and maintained an unlawful program. Christian Porter. Porter could not rationally have been satisfied of the legality of the scheme. These are scathing indictments. The actual report itself contains a sealed section with referrals to the AFP, the National Anti-Corruption Commission, the Ombudsman, and a range of other government bodies. This is by far and away the most scathing indictment of a government program that I can remember in my lifetime. Now, I've lived through a few royal commissions, and this one really really has exposed some horrendous behaviours in governments. We know that the RoboDebt program categorically tried to shake down some 400,000 Australians. That it was promised to save taxpayers $4 billion dollars. In the end, it cost hundreds of millions of dollars to implement and destroyed thousands of lives. And in some cases, resulted in those lives coming to a premature end. It's right that there be referrals to prosecutorial bodies. It's right that people be held to account As Anthony Albanese, the current Prime Minister, said, this is precisely why you should have a Royal Commission for purposes to get to the facts, to expose flaws in the way government operates so as to ensure that it does never happen again. You know, this has been a dark chapter in Australian history. One of the things that the report makes clear is that the demonisation of people who require the social wage, people on welfare, people who require social services, led in no small part 
to this lawlessness within these government departments, within the government itself. But there is no process for cabinet submissions to be verified as in line with the law, constitutional. In fact, it's all taken on faith. It is absolutely outrageous the way the Liberal Party has rejected the Royal Commission. Peter Dutton has tried to say that Anthony Albanese and Bill Shorten, who is the now Minister for Services Australia, have politicised this. That is not the case. That is not the case. Robo-debt was not just the politicisation of welfare payments, it was the absolute circus. It was turning welfare recipients into some kind of horrific entertainment for the mass of people who are not on welfare. You know, the report makes clear that there are two different ways to think about the welfare system. And this, again, is a quote. It's a great report. If you get a chance to go through it, do. There is the sealed section, of course, which has the referrals, which you're not going to get access to. No, I haven't got access to that. So, But this is from the report itself. Of the, This is on the ways to do a welfare policy. One is to recognise that many citizens will at different times in their lives need income support on a temporary basis. For some, as they study or look for work, longer term for others, for reasons of age, disadvantage or disability, and to provide that support willingly, adequately and with respect. An alternative approach is to regard those in receipt of social security benefits as a drag on the national economy, an entry on the debit side of the budget to be reduced by any means available by casting recipients as a burden on the taxpayer, by making onerous requirements of those who are claiming or who have claimed benefit, by minimising the availability of assistance from departmental staff, by clawing back benefits, whether justly or not, and by generally making the condition of the Social Security recipient unpleasant and undesirable. The Robodet scheme exemplifies the latter. Are we really, really clear about this? The workers in Centrelink, the vast majority of the workers who do frontline work in Services Australia, were trying desperately to blow the whistle on this. There is story after story in the media now about workers who left, about workers who got sacked, about how labour hire was used to implement some of these policies so that workers wouldn't be unionised, workers wouldn't stand up against the demands of these unscrupulous corrupt, unlawful bosses. And just because it's the government doesn't mean they're not bosses. And public sector workers are forced to adhere to a code of conduct, a code of conduct which prevents them from speaking to the media, which is why the CPSU, the Community Public Sector Union, is so important, because that union represents those workers. That union, along with many others, was throughout this entire period from 2015, which is where the Commission says the unlawfulness began, onwards, trying to stop this abuse of power, 
That's what the Commission has called this, an abuse of power. So full credit to Melissa Donnelly and her predecessors at the CPSU. And I urge you to join your union. I know I always do. But when you see something like robo-debt and you see how much work union officials, delegates, health and safety reps, just union members in general, have put into trying to make our nation better, to take something that was an abuse of power, to minimise the harm that it was causing. I'm not saying that they were totally successful. They're not saying that either. What they're saying is this was terrible. It should never have happened. And it could have been worse. For some, obviously, it couldn't have been. It cost them their lives. Joining your union is one way to make sure that you always have a voice in the workplace. And I want to give a shout-out to the CPSU again. I know they're dealing with a lot of traumatised people, whether they're staff who are working in Services Australia or whether they're clients, many of whom have been ripped off by their own government. You know, Bill Shorten talks about this as one of the greatest failures of any government in Australian history because the primary purpose of government is to help the citizens of the nation, not to harm them, not to hunt them down, not to threaten them with prison, not to issue them with false debt notices. So look, join your union, whatever industry you're in, you should be a member. You can go to australianunions.org.au slash wow. Because frankly, without unions, this sort of behaviour could have been allowed to go on forever. I saw a Liberal post on one of the many social media platforms that now exists recently that some 18,000 new public servants have been hired since Anthony Albanese became Prime Minister and Labor took power. And all I could think was good, good. I hope there's another 10,000 to come because all that work was being done through labour hire, through contracting. Ticket clippers were taking their share and shipping it offshore. Now those workers have jobs. They get salaries and wages. They have job security. They feel empowered to speak up about things that are wrong and unlawful, things like robo-debt. It's a fundamental part of our democratic institution that the public service is able to give frank and fearless advice, that that advice is lawful and based on the laws that exist. That didn't happen with robo-debt. This didn't happen. When consultants or legal opinion suggested that maybe this was not right, maybe there was no legal basis for it, maybe that it was unlawful, those reports were shelved, scrapped, paused, put on hold, like some kind of weird version of that TV show Utopia. Except here we're not talking about simply adding a couple of extra million dollars to the cost of a road. We're talking about the lives of hundreds of thousands of Australians, of Australians, their families, people who lost members of their family, 
It brings up a lot of emotion for a lot of people. Brown and I have both had periods where we relied on income support from the Commonwealth to survive. And I know that income support is always going to be inadequate. It's always going to be not enough. It doesn't have to be punitive. It doesn't have to be the robo-debt version. We argue here on this show and in just about every public forum for full employment policy, we argue for a neo-Keynesian economic model that supports all people, that helps people transition through periods of unemployment, that finds ways for people to make a contribution to the economy and the society in which they live. But those things go hand in hand. Now, not everyone is going to have a job. Not everyone is going to be able to work. And that doesn't diminish their value as a person. You are not your job. I am not my job. We are people. What RoboDebt did was it diminished Australians as people. And instead, it turned those who are most vulnerable into a political tool. And the media conspired to help them. The billionaire and corporate owner media worked with elements of the Morrison government to try and paint people who were being unlawfully pursued by their own government as being in the wrong and to paint the Labor opposition who were starting to ask questions about this program that saw their constituents walk through their electorate office doors or call their electorate office going, I don't understand how a company I've never heard of and I never worked for says that I got paid $70,000, which is a genuine story that someone has told. And when Labor was asking those questions, the billionaire-owned media attacked the Labor Party as being soft on the recipients of welfare. Now, maybe, maybe I'm too cynical. Maybe I'm too idealistic. I don't know. What I do know is that the idea that you can be too soft on someone who has nothing, who has no job, who has just been told they owe tens of thousands of dollars, or that you are too soft on someone who has just found employment for the first time in months, perhaps years, and who's just been told they owe tens of thousands of dollars. How can you ever be too soft on such a person? Surely those are the people in our society for whom we should wrap around, for whom we should help up. You know, I give these weekend wraps on a Sunday and I'm not a particularly religious person. My grandparents were and my uncle is as well. But, you know, however you treat the least of my brothers and sisters, that is how you treat me. That's something that I remember from being forced to go to Sunday school. And when I think about RoboDebt, that's what I think of. I think that there were many people, many people 
who were prepared to treat Australians in need, Australians who were vulnerable, as though they weren't people at all. And that is unacceptable. I'm so glad we had this Royal Commission. I mean, I didn't follow it every day, and there are people who have far more expertise on this, and you can find them on social media, and you should read about them. I know the Saturday paper is doing some stuff on this. There's The Guardian has done heaps of stuff on this as well. You know, but there is no question that this has to be a redefining moment in how we think about the social wage in this country. You know, on Wednesday's episode, Van and I talked about the neo-Keynesian model of economics and we talked about why a bigger surplus is important. Just as important as a bigger surplus is having proper systems in place to recognise the humanity of all of our citizens and we still have some way to go on that. I acknowledge that Labor has done more on rent assistance than has been done in 30 years. We've had the largest increase in job seeker payments for a long, long time. There's been a whole range of shifts, a whole range of measures, intersecting measures, like we talked about on Wednesday, designed to help single parents, designed to help the long-term unemployed. This work has to continue. It is nuanced. It is difficult. And at a policy level, it requires a great deal of commitment to dealing with people who, quite frankly, a lot of senior public servants and certainly a lot of ministers would not necessarily always choose to engage with because they have complex needs, they have complex issues, they have complex traumas. And that's not an easy thing to deal with. It's not an easy thing for the people who have it to deal with. But we have to better understand how to build our structures, to build our processes so that every person in our Commonwealth has a stake, has a share in the Commonwealth of our nation. We talk about why the yes vote is so important for the referendum. Same reasons. So that all Australians have that level of commitment, of buy-in, of belonging, so that no one is left out, so that no one's history, so that no one's experience is ignored. Robodet exposes some horrendous governmental practices, some ways of making policy that, frankly, are sickening. And, you know, I just, I just cannot wrap my head around how anyone in the Liberal Party, let alone the leader, thinks that attacking the current Prime Minister for calling out just what's in the report, that this was appalling, that this was unacceptable, that it was an abuse of power, that the Prime Minister saying those things is somehow political. Maybe they are political things to say, but they're political things that need to be said because the vast majority of people who need income support are not quote-unquote bludgers. The vast, vast majority of people who need any kind of government support, whether it be housing, whether it be education support, whatever it might be, 
are not somehow taking things from the taxpayer. They're Australians accessing the systems that we put in place to support them when they most need it. That's what we have to remember. We build these systems for a reason because we acknowledge that any one of us at any moment could, through sheer bad luck, through the machinations of the economic machine in which our society operates, find ourselves unemployed, disabled, homeless, and need support. The social wage exists for those reasons. Now, any system and every system that people have made at any time in human history is going to have weaknesses. It's going to have points of exploitation. And I'm not for a moment denying that there are some individuals who do the wrong thing. But there is a difference between building a system that is capable of finding instances of bad practice or instances of bad faith and taking restorative action and a system that is designed to punish all of those who participate, a system that is designed to act as a weapon of fear against anyone who might contemplate accessing the system at all. That's what RoboDebt was. Ben and I talk about the neoliberal model as the opposite of the neo-Keynesian model. We talk about the RBA trying to create more unemployment. RoboDebt, RoboDebt is the other side of the neoliberal coin. In order to maintain a level of inflation that is low, in order to keep wage growth low, in order to minimise the power of working people, you do two things. You create an ongoing pool of permanently unemployed and unemployable people and you punish them and you make that punishment public. You make that a personal failing, not a systemic one. And you essentially threaten every working person that they could fall into that pool as well. It's a dark, dark time for Australia. But it's over. And now we go through the process of seeing justice. Now we go through the process of change. Already we've seen changes. I've mentioned some. I'm sure there's more to come. And no, it won't happen fast enough. And no, not every victim will be compensated. And no, for some, there will never be enough compensation. How do you bring back someone's child? How do you bring back someone's partner? You can't. What we can do as a society is say this will never happen again. What we can do as a society is what the Royal Commissioner suggested, and that is take leadership. That is to say that our system is a social wage system. Our system is not about welfare and about the deserving and the undeserving. Our system is about our society. 
It's about helping people when they most need it in order for them to become the best person they can be, in order to help them live and participate in our society, in our commonwealth, so that they too can enjoy the common wealth of Australia. That's what we should be doing. That's what we need to keep doing. You know, I talk about unions all the time. Part of the reason is because they embody that spirit. I've never met a union member who hasn't put their hand to help somebody up. I've never met a union member who has turned on somebody else. I got an email this week from someone who has just rejoined a union for the first time after changing jobs, you know, and they were talking about their workplace and getting involved in things and helping other people. That's why I'm so passionate about unionism. It embodies that that spirit of how I think our Commonwealth should be structured. And I know many of you think that as well. You know, there's a classic example, the Health Services Union in New South Wales over the weekend has struck a new pay deal. It's worth up to 8.5%, 8.5% for some of the lowest paid workers in New South Wales in their health system. So Jared Hayes, who's the Secretary uh, of the Health Services Union in New South Wales, has said that the New South Wales government uh, will write uh, to the union committing to a $3,500 increase to salaries. Now, what does that mean, right? So it's a flat rate. Well, it does mean that some people will get more as a percentage of their wage and some people will get less as a percentage, but everyone will get 3500 So it means that for some people it's up to 85 for others it's 45 Now, who gets the 85 You're talking about people who clean hospitals, who work in security, somebody who works on a ward cleaning up. You know, these are people on $50,000, $55,000 a year. These are the security officers who get attacked in emergency rooms. They're cleaners who kept COVID out of hospitals as best they could during the pandemic. You know, and I really hope that the health services union members in New South Wales will vote up that agreement that Jared Hayes and the team at the HSU will put to them. Because, yes, it's a flat increase. But what it means is the people at the very bottom, the people on the lowest wages, will get a little bit more. They get just a little bit more, and everybody gets a bit more too. It's absolutely, absolutely a great outcome for those workers. You know, 4% pay rise, and I get percentage pay rises, and it keeps the differentials, and there are some differentials that's important to keep. If you are have more experience, if you are have gone and gotten yourself skilled up, whether that's through university or through TAFE or through some other training organisations, absolutely you should be recognised for that. If you're adding additional value, that we build our entire society on that structure. But we should also acknowledge that the people who are fundamental, remember we called cleaners essential workers. We called these security guards essential workers. We told them that when the world was under threat 
from a deadly pandemic, they had to go to work because they were essential. And still, some people begrudge them even a small, a small closing of the gap between them at the bottom and us in the middle. We have to move past that. We have to move past that. I really wanted to focus a lot on the RoboDebt Royal Commission report today. You know, it's been pretty disappointing to see the Liberal response. And I know Bill Shorten's put out uh, some uh, social media posts about just how disappointing it is. But what's really heartening has been to see the general outpouring of people to say this can never happen again, to say that this kind of system cannot be allowed to take root in Australia. Finally today, I want to talk very briefly about something else that happened, uh, and that is that the... Education Minister has said that there needs to be changes in the way that content is taught to future educators. So these are people doing teaching degrees at universities. And there needs to be four areas of core content. The brain and learning. This is content that provides teachers with an understanding of how the brain processes, stores, and retrieves information. Effective pedagogical, I can never say that word properly, literacy and numeracy teaching strategies, as well as teaching in a way that supports our students' brains work, classroom management, ways to manage and foster positive learning environments such as establishing rules, routines and modelling, teaching in a way that supports our students' brains work, and responsive teaching content that ensures teachers teach in a way that are culturally and contextually appropriate and responsive to student needs. Now, this all sounds fine and dandy and it's good to improve the way we do things and good to improve the way uh, teaching operates. But the point has been made by the Australian Education Union President, uh, Karina Haythorpe, that while these recommendations may help, the biggest barriers to people joining the teaching profession are unsustainable workloads, uncompetitive salaries. And, you know, it's not just the AEU saying this. The Deputy Dean of Education at Monash University, Louise Jenkins, said workplace issues such as pay and conditions are the biggest difference to teacher retention. You know, fundamentally, we have to deal with these issues. When you look at places like Finland, teaching is a profession of choice. Public education is about excellence. It's about equity. It's about access for all and creating an environment because teachers are well remunerated. Their workloads are appropriate. I think people forget. We had those big campaigns around Gonski and minimum funding for every school, but we didn't get there. Remember how Tony Abbott lied about a lot of things? Well, he lied about education, and that lie perpetuated for a decade under Abbott, under Turnbull, under Morrison. 
only two in every 100 public schools in this country is properly funded to the minimum standard. That means 98 out of 100 public schools don't have the teachers they need, don't have the support staff they need, don't have the equipment that they need. That means that 98 out of 100 students in this country, in every single state, is missing out on the minimum resources they need based on a universally agreed set of principles and criteria, has cross-party support. Everyone agrees that that's the standard, and yet we don't meet it. So it's good to look at how we teach teachers. Of course it is. No one's denying that we shouldn't look at those things. But until our governments step up, and the Commonwealth needs to do more here, and in the scope of the Commonwealth budget, it's not a lot of money. It's not a lot of money to get our public schools to the minimum standard they need. Can you imagine if on this podcast and on Channel 9 News tonight or Channel 7 News tonight or the ABC News, whichever news channels you like, we were saying that only two in every 100 aged care homes met the minimum standards. Can you imagine if we said only two in every 100 military bases met the minimum standards? Can you imagine if we said only two in every 100 hospitals met minimum standards? What we're saying is that two in every 100 schools have the minimum resources they need to meet the standard. That's phenomenal in such a bad way. And for what? For the same kind of penny-pinching that RoboDebt was about. To say, oh, well, we have to save the taxpayers some money. Well, putting on that neo-Keynesian hat of mine, investing in education, in public education in particular, is probably the best investment governments can ever make. Never waste a brain. Such an important, important thing. Investing in people, making the people of our Commonwealth better. You know, there's lots of discussion about productivity uh, issues in this country and around the world, productivity issues, productivity is in decline. What do we do about productivity? Oh, if productivity doesn't go up, we can't have wage increases. Or always productivity. And, you know, fundamentally, the world's problem with productivity is not about people. It's about investment. It's about where we invest money and how we invest money, how we skill up people. And it starts with public education. If we cannot or if we refuse to make the investment in public education, if we refuse to acknowledge from the very outset that investing in people is worthwhile, why are we surprised when those people are in their 20s and their 30s, their 40s and their 50s that their bosses turn around and refuse to invest? refuse to invest in upskilling them, refuse to invest in new machinery, refuse to invest in new equipment, refuse to invest 
in new technologies that would make them more productive. But maybe not this fiscal year, maybe not in this reporting season, maybe not while that executive is still here getting their bonuses. How can we be surprised if we as a Commonwealth, if our governments won't make that investment at the very outset that in 10, 15, 20, 30 years down the line, bosses won't make an even smaller investment. We can't be. Fundamentally, we have to accept that the productivity problem is a problem about investment. It's a problem about how we choose to invest in people, in the development of people right from the very earliest years of our cognitive capacities, right through to the very end of our lives. And until we get that right, until we understand that better, productivity problems are going away. Quite frankly, I think there's going to continue to be campaigns for more, better and equitable funding for public schools and public education and all strength and solidarity to the Australian Education Union and all of the teachers, teaching assistants and staff who make public education in this country so great. Because even without the resources, the minimum resources that you need, you are still churning out some of the best and brightest people in the world. Just imagine, just imagine what those people will be able to do when they're properly equipped, properly resourced, when the Labor government steps up and says, yes, we are going to invest in the people of this country not just for today, but for tomorrow and for the next generation and for the future of this Commonwealth. Such a departure from the old Morrison-isms of robo-debt and seeing people, not as people, but as a burden on the budget. Let's have a nation that sees people as humans, sees us as a community, sees us creating Commonwealth to be shared by all. Until Wednesday, when Van and I will join you, we're going to be in separate places, so we're going to try and do that thing where we record from one place and another place and bring it all together online. Don't forget to check us out. We are on Threads. We are on Blue Sky. If you've got an invitation, we'll be shooting out invitations as best we can as they come through. We are, of course, still on Twitter until that falls over. Hopefully it doesn't fall over. Hopefully somebody buys it and Elon Musk, I don't know, does something else with his life. Maybe he could perfect those electric cars. I hear he has something to do with those. Until then, remember, be kind to yourself and to each other.